Hello and welcome to Sharp HR Career Corner with Karen Sharp Price. This podcast will inform and inspire you in your quest to find the right career path. If you're just starting out, looking to make a change in your field or transitioning into a new career, then this podcast is for you. We'll be sharing tips and providing resources on topics such as writing resumes, interviewing, using LinkedIn, and networking. We will take a look at different careers, companies, and opportunities. You will hear success stories from professionals in all career paths, and so much more. You will leave this podcast with three key takeaways that you can easily put into practice. Enjoy! Welcome to Sharp HR Career Corner Podcast. Today, our guest is Tracy Hooper, founder of The Confidence Project. We have a lot to talk about today, so we're going to jump right in. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you. Very nice to be here, Karen. So I want to I want to start back after you graduated from college. You went to the University of Maryland. Um, you received your degree in English, English language, and lit degree. So that that's a lot right there. Um, and you've you've done so much in your career. You've been a news TV news reporter, an anchor, a producer voiceover artist. You've even been an owner of Distinctive Beach Lodging and now the founder of Confidence Project. But before we learn more about what you're doing today, let's go back a little bit after you graduated from college. Can you talk to us about your career story at that point? Mm, Yes. My first job after college was a college admissions officer. I traveled around the state of Maryland recruiting students to come to the University of Maryland. And I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, but I didn't really know how to explore what was out there. And one time a friend of mine said to me, you know, Tracy, you really like to write and you like to interview kids and parents whose children are looking at the school. And why don't you think about going into TV news? And I thought, huh, that hadn't really crossed my mind, which is interesting because my father was a sportscaster in Baltimore, Maryland for 50 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he started in the print business and then went into radio and then went on television and he was the dean of sports in Baltimore, Maryland. Oh my gosh. And so you'd think I would have thought about that along the way. (laughs) Uh, And so I decided, hmm, maybe I'll look into that. And I put together, I worked during the day and then in the evening I went to a community college and used some of their video equipment and began shooting little stories that I could put together a demo reel. Really? And I sent my demo reel all over the country to little tiny towns. And Mm -hmm. I landed in a town in Maryland of all places in Salisbury, Maryland at WBOC, which stands for between the ocean and the Chesapeake as the Chesapeake Bay. And I began as the weather girl, (laughs) which is how women were referred to. And I knew nothing about the weather. In fact, I remember when I, uh, I first started at the station, the news director said to me, well, you know, I know we've hired you to be a reporter, but we'd like you to do the weather for a while. And I said, oh, I don't really know anything about the weather. He said, that's okay. The sports guy will teach you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> sure enough, <laughs> Marty Thorson, who was the sports guy, became my, he'd been doing weather and sports since the weather guy walked off the set. And in five days, he taught me, I'm using air quotes, how to do the weather in a part of the world in the country where weather really matters. On the Eastern shore of Maryland, there are farmers and fishermen and beachgoers, and I was terrible. But I learned that was my first experience 
where I learned that practice makes progress. Mm -hmm. I never became a great weather forecaster, but I got better and I got more comfortable on the air. And of course I got lots of last nasty letters saying, what's the matter with your hair and you should get a different blouse. And someone criticized me because I wore the same jacket all the time. I thought, well, I'm not making very much money. (laughs) I only have one jacket in my wardrobe. But that was really a great experience to know that I was in the right profession, but mm-hmm. in the wrong uh, segment of the profession. I was never meant to be a weather person, but I did. I was able to do some reporting at night. So I do the weather then I go out and shoot a news story in between the weather casts. And then I got hired at WBAL TV in Baltimore to be to do weather on the weekends and do reporting. And then I went into full-time reporting. And the point of my telling that story is that we never know where we are is going to lead us to where we want to be. Exactly. We can't get the dream job right out of the gate, but if it's leading you in the right direction, if you're following, if you're following your curiosity, if you keep a journal about what you like, you can have a, an interesting career that certainly will change over time. Yeah, absolutely. So how long were you in Maryland then for? I was in Maryland for two years. And then um, my, I married my husband, Henry, and he got into graduate school in Connecticut. And I applied to stations where he had been accepted. And I got a job at WFSB in Hartford. And that's when I did some more anchoring and some reporting as well. Oh, my God. A great a great experience, demanding and much more demanding now because yeah. the news cycle is 24 seven and it never stops. Yeah. You're always on. Always on. Yeah. You went to Hartford, uh, Connecticut, and then your husband got a job out in Portland, Oregon. Is that? Yeah. Well, we, we moved back to Maryland and we um, had our children there and he had a job there and I continued to do voiceover work, which I still do. And I did that for a long time. And I was also producing and hosting corporate videos. So I wasn't doing on-camera work, broadcast TV, but I was doing internal programs for various companies. And then Henry got a job in Portland and I continued to do my voiceover work, but was mostly raising the girls for that chunk of time when we moved out here to Portland. So what happened, you know, raising children um, it is a, a full-time job in itself and, and plus, but what happened that made you just kind of like stop and, and consider what you were going to be doing in your own career at that point? Um, I think that women overall, there is a time in their life when they're raising their children that they all have that moment where they think, okay, what about me? Where, where is my life headed once children are of an age where they don't actually look at you for, for you anymore. <laughs> they, they sort of are out and about and you're like, oh, it's kind of lonely here. Yes. So, what, so what happened to you to, to make you stop and consider, okay, what do I do now in my career? What do I do now? Well, Henry had worked at the same company here in Portland for 10 years, and then he decided he was ready for a change. So he left that company and, uh, and, was looking for something more meaningful, different for him. And I went into panic mode. I thought, well, what are you going to do? Who have you talked to today? Did you send out your resume? What'd they say? And he looked at me and he said, Tracy, I'm going to find something. Relax. And I could not relax. And finally, a very 
kind, loving friend said to me, Tracy, Henry's going to be fine. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Oh, wow. And I thought, hmm, good question. And I remember taking, and Karen, I can't even put my finger on what it was, but some kind of a survey, which is out in the world, about what would be your next career move? What are your strengths? What do you like to do? What are your weaknesses? Yeah. And, and somehow I thought, this has got to turn into something. And serendipitously, some friends of mine had started a women's leadership program in Portland, and they the, they had uh, they had young women who had graduated from college. They applied to this program from all over the country, and they were selected six of them to live in community and uh, have paid internships for a year, uh, do volunteer work on Fridays. And my friend said to me, "Would you host an etiquette evening for these women?" Oh. And I thought, absolutely. <laughs> Anything to promote civility in the world. <laughs> and I really thought I would, these young women would come to my house and I would teach them or talk with them about how you introduce yourself and how do you introduce someone else? And how do you start a conversation with someone? How do you keep it going? How can you be curious? And they looked at me like they'd never learned how to do this before. Oh, wow. So after 20 minutes, I said to them, I have an idea. Would you all like to, would you all like to invite your friends over here and we'll have a workshop? And we can practice these skills to engage with people, these communication skills. And they said, that would be great. One month later, Karen, I had 30 young people in my living room. Oh my goodness. And I looked around, not knowing most people, except for these six women. And I said, does anybody know why you're here tonight? And someone raised their hand and said, I heard this is a crash course in becoming a grown up." And I thought there's a business here. And that's, that is how the confidence project started. I thought people need to learn how to talk to each other, how to have a conversation, how to have a difficult conversation. And I, I did start working only with young women out of college. I, and, and we, we talked about etiquette, but soon after that, I thought it's much bigger than etiquette and it's much bigger than women. We need to teach these skills of engagement to everyone. And in fact, I was doing a program at Portland State University uh, for some alumni. And one woman who was from Nairobi came up to me and she said, you know, I, my mother tried to teach me these skills when I was growing up. And I said to her, ah, leave me alone. I just want to be myself. I want to be who I am. Wow. And she said, now I just called my mother at our break and told her, I wish I had listened to you. These are skills that I wish I know, but now I do. do. Very nice. Yeah, that was very nice. Now, the the age of those girls, when you first had them in your home, what what was the age range? Well, they were right out of the young people. Those 30 young people were between 22 and 25. But I would tell you, you know, fast forward now, many years later, my clients are all different ages, men and women groups, individuals, people need to learn these skills. And I don't know whether they didn't have a chance to learn them growing up or people didn't feel it was a value. But what I find is that when people get into their careers, they really need to learn the skills to connect with other people so that they can be recommended for a job or invited back for a second interview or or be 
ask someone to be their mentor. You need to connect with people for someone to want to do that for you. Yeah. So do you tie this into sort of the networking piece for young adults? Um, or is this just a basic, how do you shake hands? How do you end a conversation when you're in a group, when you don't know how to like leave and you want to walk around the room a little bit, but you right. don't want to be rude. I mean, is it those little things that you're, you're teaching? Well, those are some of the skills that I teach, but it's also how to have a difficult conversation with someone. How do you give someone feedback? How do you accept feedback with confidence? It's not simply the handshake. And by the way, hasn't all that changed? We don't even know whether we should be shaking hands now. It's the fist bump now. (laughs) It is. And I encourage people when they're greeting someone if, if, for instance, let's say I'm comfortable shaking hands, but I'm not, I'm meeting you for the first time. What I'm saying to people is, Karen, I'm so delighted to meet you. I'm happy to shake your hand. Yes and no are both good answers. Mm-hmm. And then you get to say, you know, I'm not quite comfortable shaking hands yet. I, I always feel it's important to give other people the opportunity to talk about what they're comfortable with. Yeah. And if you're not comfortable shaking hands with someone, or you want to keep physical distance for whatever reason, no, no need to justify it. Right. It's, it's easy to say to someone, I'm delighted to meet you, put your hand over your heart. I'm delighted to meet you. I'm not quite ready to shake hands yet, but it's great to see you in person. Now you have something to do with your hand. You put it over your heart, a slight tap over your heart. Yeah. There's no awkwardness about, should I extend my hand or shouldn't I? And then you use your I statements. I think that is the Number one of the top 10 skills of confidence is using those I statements. I prefer, I would like, I'm not comfortable shaking hands yet. I would appreciate it if we would both still wear masks or I'll be wearing a mask, but you're welcome not to. Anytime you can use that I statement, it expresses how you feel, what you want, what your boundaries are, but it doesn't make other people feel defensive. So I have to ask you, how did you get so good at this? Because honestly, like I've seen you on different um, podcasts and in and, and, and even your own um, little excerpts that you have, you just seem very, na- you're just very natural. Like, like you're the, you know, the girl next door, but, but, but with manners <laughs> and, and, and you, and you're very, um, you're very kind. You're very soft-spoken. You're very easy to accept what you're saying. You know, and and it's not, you're not, I don't feel like you're teaching me. You're just giving me some advice and it's, it's take in the right way. I don't know how you do that. Like that is, so who taught you? (laughs) I appreciate that question. Here's who taught me, my elders, Ah. my elders, my, I had grandparents who were involved in our family. Um, My grandparents, Barry and Papa would come over every Sunday for dinner. And my grandmother, Nona, came over every Tuesday. Yeah, We had dinner together as a family. I always say to people, if you don't do anything else during the day, anytime you can have dinner together as a family, that's where you learn to have conversations. That's, I mean, there were six children in my family. Everybody had something to say. (laughs) And we learned the skill of asking questions and listening and asking questions and listening. And everybody had a chance to talk everybody had to learn to listen. And some of my siblings are not as talkative as others. My mother was really great at saying, okay, Meg, tell us what happened today in class. And I learned that how you pull 
people into a conversation, welcome them into a conversation. And then Karen, I was a newswoman. (laughs) You have to be able to connect with people really fast because typically most people on the street do not want to be talking with the news crew. Right, right. I had to be approachable. And the way to be approachable is to look someone in the eye. And by the way, if it's tricky for you to look someone in the eye, look at the bridge of their nose. It's a great fake. Yeah. Look someone in the eye, shake their hand firmly, and introduce yourself using your first and last name. I believe that your name is a part of your personal and professional identity. And there are lots of Tracys in the world. There are lots of Karens in the world, but there's only one Karen Sharp. There's only one Tracy Hooper. Yeah. I believe unless you have mononym status like Beyonce, (laughs) it's important to use your first and last name. Yeah. And if your name is tricky, because we have the world is flat, people are coming from all over the world. We're in touch with people. If your name is tricky, figure out a mnemonic device to help people pronounce your name properly. Hmm. I remember I was giving it, I gave a, a presentation once and this woman came up to me afterwards and she said, I'm happy to meet you. My name is Shin Shin Yu. And I said, thank you very much. Would you say your name again for me? I want to make sure I get it right. And wow. she said, Shin, she pointed to her Shin and then she pointed to her chin and then she pointed at me, you, <laughs> Shin Shin Yu. Oh, wow. <laughs> gift. What a gift that woman gave me. I'll never yeah. forget that. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, it's tricky. Come up with that mnemonic device. It's that a, is it's very cool. the other person. I learn, we all learn in different ways. I learned from my family. I do a lot of reading on this subject. Mm. I've had different careers. Same as your listeners. We yeah. all come from different places. What's great about the skills that I teach that I share is that It doesn't matter where you come from or what your parents did or how much money you have or what your job title is. Confidence can be learned. Hmm. You know, confidence. I say this in my book and I'm going to read this to you because I I really believe this so firmly. Being confident doesn't mean that you're never afraid or intimidated. It means that you have practiced certain skills so that even in the midst of change, you know what to say or do next. And this knowing lowers your anxiety and allows you to focus on your job and the relationships you want to build and nurture. All the skills that I teach are, anybody can learn. That's what makes it so fun. And whether it is looking someone in the eye, whether it is using your full name, whether it is one one of the ideas that I share with people is when you're meeting someone to use what I call Kickstarter questions. And a Kickstarter question would be asking what, how, and tell me more. Huh. What's the most interesting part about your job? What do you find most challenging? What are you doing to stay motivated as you work from home? How did you, how did you make the career switch from marketing to advertising? How are you finding your experience being back in the office? How are you, what are the steps you're using to to look for a new job, what, how, and then tell me more, opens it up. Tell me more about that. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. Keep going. Tell me more. That's a way that you can have a conversation with literally anyone. Because remember, everybody's favorite subject 
is themselves. <laughs> that's and very if you true. ask those questions, people want to talk about themselves. Yeah, that, that's very true. And I think that if you take the time and really listen to what they're saying, that is, is a very important piece too. You don't just ask the question, but really engage yourself and listen to what they're saying. That's right. Um, yeah. I, so, you know, we can't really go without talking about COVID and how that has affected many people. Um, those, who, you know, have had to go from in-person to remote and some are still, you know, remote. Some may continue to always be remote. Um, but what do you see is the biggest struggle your clients um, are facing because of COVID and because of what that's brought into their life? It, it's all over the place. Some people are concerned about going back out into the world because either for their own health and safety or because their conversation muscles have atrophied. <laughs> they haven't, you know, when we're on a Zoom call, it's mostly business. As someone said, do we really need to have another Zoom trivia night? No, we don't. We, we, we really want to work when we're on, on, a, on a video call. And therefore, you don't have a chance to have that small talk that can lead to a big conversation. When you're on Zoom, it's the meeting starts at 2 we have to be, you know, we have a hard stop at 2.30. Let's go yeah. right to the agenda. Yeah. And it, it's that small talk that builds relationships. It's finding out that somebody got a pandemic puppy. Somebody has grown a beard. Somebody's taken a great vacation. Somebody just had a grandchild. Somebody's gotten a new job. We miss those kinds of everyday conversations when we're not in the office. Yeah, And I encourage people to to find some time with people outside of work where you could have a 10 minute phone call or you could have a 10 minute Zoom call, no agenda, simply to keep in touch with people. What I'm finding is that clients are saying, I'm working with people for two years who I've never met before. Yeah. And now I'm gonna see them in person, what do I say? And I say, ask them about them, huh. how are you doing? How's it, and how are you doing today? I remember when Sheryl Sandberg's husband died unexpectedly several years ago in an accident. Uh, they were on vacation. And she's a month afterwards, she put this beautiful missive on Facebook about the experience of losing her husband. And she said, people would ask her, how are you doing? And she would say to herself, how do you think I'm doing? I'm doing terribly. But when someone said, how are you doing today? She said, that gave me a chance to focus on this day. And I could say, today I'm doing a little better. Today I'm feeling sad. Today I'm feeling grateful for my family helping me. And I find that's helpful also with people in the world we're living in. How are you doing today? Because if I ask people, how are they doing they might think, well, we've just, we're in the, still in the middle of a global pandemic. I'm not doing very well. But if you can say today, they can focus on what's happening for them at that moment. That's, that's very true. And <clears throat> I, I think I remember reading that um, when she wrote that um, and, and capturing how that feels. And really that transcends to anybody who has lost a person 
And how do you interact with that person on a regular basis because their world is upside down and every day is different and they don't know what that day is going to bring them um, because they've never been through that possibly. And, and, and the grief is always different for everybody. So that's, that's, it's very interesting. So your aim is to cultivate a culture where people elevate their presence and communicate with clarity and work together better. Um, do you see from your experience, one gender that struggles with confidence more than the other, would you say? I wish I had an answer to that. Uh, we certainly have plenty of books written about women's lack of confidence in the workplace. And speaking of Sheryl Sandberg and her first book, she wrote that, you know, women will only apply for a job if they have seven, if they believe they have 70% of the skills needed yes. and men apply if they have 30%. <laughs> um, and yeah. Teachers will say that boys raise their hand more than girls. Even if girls know the answer, they're afraid to raise their hands. I, I see people, I see men and women all the time. And I think some people can fake confidence better than others. <laughs> some people who do a lot of interrupting are really announcing to the world that they're not confident. They're mm -hmm. trying to be the alpha. They're trying to be the person who knows all the answers. But really what they're saying is, I'm not confident, but I'm going to override my feelings and act like I am. I, I don't know that answer. What I do know is that you can practice skills to engage with other people, and that can build your confidence. Confidence can be learned. It's like building a muscle. Mm. And the more you practice these skills that we've talked about, for instance, another networking technique uh -huh. that I use that's easy is if I see an article in the newspaper, or I watch a TED talk, or I see a YouTube video, and it makes me think of someone else, I'll send them the link. Oh. And the title in my subject line is thought about you. Or thought about you when I read this article. Uh, hi, Jim, I thought about you when I read this article about leading remote teams, it may provide some good ideas for you. Take care, Tracy. Wow, that is a simple a give. It's a give. I, I, I like to call it give, 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 ask, you know, give, 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 and then you can ask. Yeah. And that's a simple give. And people love that. They absolutely love that. And, and I'm a, I'm a note gal. And I, I think everybody should have their own letterhead. It's not expensive. You can go to any printing place and get some letterhead. And if I see an article in the newspaper, I cut it out. I put a sticky note at the top, thought about you when I saw, when I read this article, oh. take care. People love getting that in the mail. What do we get in the mail? Bills, yeah. political flyers. No, what, to get a note from someone. And many times, if it's an article, I'll highlight some areas in the article that they, and people love that. Yeah. It's that touch point. It's that, it's that giving and asking for nothing in return. Well, and I think it's so true that we don't get mail. We don't, we don't get letters from people. Um, you know, I still make my sons write thank you notes and, and pen to paper and the, and because they need to know how to address an envelope. Uh, those are the simple things that we aren't teaching um, our generations. And we stopped teaching them how to write cursive, which is, is something. And I was just, I was listening to um, 
to a podcast the other day, and they said that what happens when the generations can't read gene, it was uh, somebody who was, does genealogy, can't read things from decades, centuries ago, um, because they, they can't, they don't know how to read cursive. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a little bit scary because I know that my son who's 16, um, really wasn't taught, um, cursive much. And so now when I ask him to like, read me something really quickly, he'll be like, it looks like a foreign language. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it says. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I would consider that a skill for them to learn. Yeah. And yeah, really absolutely. Yeah. That's part yeah. of being educated is to be able to, to write in cursive. Yeah. So speaking of, of reading, so you've authored two books and the newest one, and I think you have it right there, hot off the presses is yeah. the new hello, what to say, what to do in the new world of work. That's my first one. The second okay. one. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah is the now hello. The now and the hello. reason I call it the now hello is because what do we do now? What's the confidence playbook now? How can we grow our careers when we're working from home? How can we network when we're not in front of people on a regular basis? How do we have confident conversations? And now, and that's what this book is all about. And I have oh. to say, I'm, I'm very proud of this book because when I wrote the new hello, my first book, it was in response to the pandemic. How do we greet each other? How do we stay six feet apart, but still have a conversation? What do we do if we're not comfortable, you know, meeting someone in person yet? And, and I, I wrote that book and there are plenty of ideas for how to enter a conversation, how to exit with confidence and so forth. But this one really is a deep dive into skills that we can use for the rest of our lives. And there is some, certainly some pandemic uh, areas in here. For instance, one of the suggestions I make is to preempt the awkward. If you're going to meet with someone and you want to know what their comfort level is in terms of greetings and, and distancing and so forth, mm -hmm. is to send them an email. Say, I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. Uh, would you remind me what your company's safety protocols are? And they would say, they may some, say something like, we're not wearing masks anymore, but we're still distancing. And then you can decide whether you would say, great, I'll be wearing a mask, uh, but you're welcome not to. That way you don't have to have that conversation when you're right standing in front of somebody. Right. So that's just preempting the office. So you're telling me that you wrote two books in the last couple of years? I did. <laughs> Accidentally. That is unbelievable <laughs> because I do know something about writing a book. I helped a friend with hers and... Um, that is an undertaking. Thank you. Wow. I, I had, um, you know, nobody does anything by themselves. <laughs> I have an associate and I would go over chapters with her. My husband uh, worked, you know, helped me to edit the chapters to clarify what I was saying. I've had a really great editor who helped me organize it. I mean, it, it does take a team. Yeah. And a really great book designer. And and that helped, but that's it for a while, girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Until the next idea pops in your head. <laughs> I guess. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, that's incredible. That really is. So where, where can people find your books? On Amazon. Okay. And the new hello and the now hello. You can find them both there. Okay. Now, before I ask you to give some advice to our listeners, 
Can you share with us the best piece of advice that a uh, career advice that someone has given you along the way? Mm-hmm. This is one of my favorite stories. When Henry, my husband was applying to business school, he applied to schools in markets that were good for me, TV news markets that were good for me. And then where we found out where he got accepted, then I started applying to those areas. So mm-hmm. North Carolina, Connecticut, Chicago, et cetera. And I went up to uh, visit two television stations in Connecticut. And the first television station, the news director said to me, you know, we're not going to hire you because you're too experienced. And I thought, you know what, you guy, tell me the truth. (laughs) I'd rather hear the truth. You don't like the way I report. You don't like the way I look. You don't like the way I write. You don't like the way I deliver. Don't tell me I'm too experienced. Tell me I don't fit in with your news group. That was a big lesson of how important it is to tell someone the truth to help them, you know, lead their careers. But the second news director said, I really like your work, but uh, we don't have an opening. And I said, well, thanks very much. I appreciate it. And at the time, I, I had a champion named Ron Shapiro, who has been for years a sports agent with many of his clients being in the NFL Hall of Fame and the Ooh. Baseball Hall of Fame. And he took me on as a cub reporter. And I, ca- I called him when I got back to Baltimore and I said, Ron, the news director at WFSB liked my work, but he said they don't have an opening. So I don't know, what are we going to do? And I thought he would say, well, let's go back to square one. And instead he said, Tracy, go back to that news director and tell him, I admire the work you all are doing on the air. You've assembled a great team. What if I offered to work half time in the newsroom as a reporter and half time on the street uh, as a producer and half time on the street as a reporter? And I said, okay. So I practiced my pitch over the next few days and I called the news director back and I offered it to him and he said, huh, okay. And then I said to him what Ron told me, tell him, I don't want to miss the chance of working for you. Mm-hmm. And that w- those were the magic words. I don't want to miss the chance of working for you. What if I work oh. half time in the newsroom, half time on the street? And he said, I'll think about it. And two weeks later, he called me back and he said, when can you start? Wow. <laughs> and that was a game changer for me. And what I would offer to your listeners is to say to someone, I don't want to miss the chance of meeting you interviewing with you, talking to you, mentoring you. I don't want to miss the chance to invite you to this. I don't want to miss the chance to share this article with you. I don't want to miss the chance. And that makes other people feel important. You're getting something out of it too, for sure. Yeah. But so are they. And isn't that the best of business where everybody benefits? Well, and you said earlier that people love to talk about themselves. And so when they hear that somebody would like to work with them, talk with them, learn from them, that just pumps them up and makes them feel really good. So, wow. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, your, that's your third book. <laughs> <laughs> In the next millennium, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, so what three pieces of advice would you give women right now to help them build up their confidence in, in their life right now, maybe in the, it's in their career, maybe it's in their personal life, but what kind of advice would you give them? Mm-hmm. I would, number one, find a skill and practice it. 
If you find yourself being interrupted in meetings, there are skills you can learn to speak up for yourself. Mm -hmm. If you find that you are using the word, I'm sorry, too much, simply switch it to thank you. Instead of saying, I'm sorry for interrupting, you could say, thank you for letting me speak for a moment. If you could, if you said, I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry for the noise in the background, you can say, thank you for your flexibility. Switching I'm sorry to thank you is big. Find if you're if you're having trouble breaking into conversations when you're in a networking event, you can learn skills about how to enter a conversation with confidence. And find a skill, give yourself 30 days to work on it, because Mm -hmm. psychologists tell us it takes 30 days to build a habit and 30 days to break a bad one. Pick a skill. Don't try to figure out everything that might be in my book or any other book that you would read and practice that skill. Like you're building a muscle. When we look at Olympians, when we look at chess players, when we look at anyone who's successful, they've practiced it for a long time before Jerry Seinfeld ever performed for the first time on the tonight show. He rehearsed his four minute monologue 200 times. Wow. That's why it sounded smooth. It takes practice. Be kind Mm. to yourself. Number two, I would encourage people to get a personal board of advisors. I would find people in your world who care about you. It could be a colleague. It could be a former colleague. It could be a former boss. It could be a good friend who's known you for a long time. It could be a spouse. It, It doesn't matter. But form a personal board of advisors who can give you advice on your career path or difficult situations that you might be in in work or how you can move ahead in the company where you are, how you can find your next, your next career. If that one friend hadn't said to me, well, two friends, the one friend early on who said, you know, Tracy, you like to write and you're good at interviewing. You should think about TV news. That never occurred to me. And then the other friend who said, Tracy, don't worry about Henry. He'll be fine. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? (laughs) Without knowing it, those women were a part of my personal board of advisors. And I love the idea of letting people know that I'd like you to, I'd like to invite you to be on my personal board of advisors. This is what I'm, I'm looking for. I'd like to meet with you quarterly or twice a year, whatever you want, and then get that board of advisors together once a year. It's great for them to network with each other and Mm -hmm. people love to help. You're not asking a lot of people and they love to give their opinion. Yep. And number three, I would encourage people to keep what I call an at a girl folder. <laughs> I have an at a girl folder that has notes and cards and even emails that people have sent me that I printed out that I read when I'm feeling shaky, uh-huh. when things aren't going well, or before I give a presentation, I always read from my at a girl folder. Because that is where I get my juice to Uh continue to do the work that I do. And everyone who's listening has made an impact on someone's life. You have. Yeah. And hold on to that. If someone says something to you, write it down. Or if you have it in in your phone under the notes section, right? If someone said something kind to you about what you did for them or how you made a difference for them, write that down. Because we forget those important uh, compliments. Yes. A lot. Mm-hmm. Sometimes someone will say something to me and Henry will say, did you hear that person? And I say, 
Well, I think, yeah. Listen to what they said, Tracy. <laughs> I think as women, we tend to brush off a compliment. Yes. And to someone says something kind or complimentary. And what do we say? Oh, nah, really. It wasn't me. It was my team. Yep. What? That doesn't elevate anybody. The best thing you can do when someone gives you a compliment is say, thank you for noticing that about me. I'll remember that. Yeah. Now that elevates them. They feel good for complimenting you because you've acknowledged that it's true and you've acknowledged that it's true. That makes you feel good. Yeah. I, you know, um, as a client works with me, one of the things that I have them fill out is that board of directors, who is your support team? Who, who do you rely on? Who do you go to? And, and they can be experts in different areas so that, and people who will tell you the truth, I think is, is a little bit tricky sometimes, but people that you, that you know, well, and, and can trust. So if somebody out there would like to reach out to you, what's the best contact information? How, how can they reach out? Well, I welcome people to go to confidenceproject.com. That's my website on Instagram. It's the confidence underscore project. And of course, LinkedIn under Tracy Hooper. And may I offer a gift to your listeners? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, Every month I produce a short video with a confidence skill or technique, one to three minutes. And it comes out the first Thursday of every month. It's free. And if people would like to get that on a regular basis, they can go to my website and sign up at the bottom of any of the pages. That'd be great. I, I think I actually have signed up for that <laughs> because I, you're, I don't know, you're just very refreshing and, and I like, I like spending time with you. So, so thank, thank you so you. much for, oh, for spending time with me and talking very about easy. all these different things. It, it's been, it's really been a joy to talk to you and learn. I've learned so much in just a very short period of time. I'm going to go get your book. So just so you know that, <laughs> uh, well, because I, very I, much. I think that anybody can learn Mm-hmm. And and we all could um, freshen up on certain things, especially with COVID. I think we've we've let down some of our guards, and we've kind of given away some of the things that we used to do on a regular basis. I was I just had a friend who um, is getting a new job, and she wasn't working during COVID, so her world is what it was like before. And now she's working for a company; she'll be working from home. And she said, "You know, well, what's the dress code?" And they're like what do you mean? We don't, we don't care what you wear. What do you mean? I I always get a suit and I always wear a dress. And and I said, (laughs) you gotta, you gotta relax a little bit, but you know, if you're talking with a client, then yeah, then, then get dressed up, but you're, it's going to take a little bit of time to get used to the new world Mm -hmm. of of what that work means and and how to adjust to that. So, so this has been very interesting. Oh, well, thank you. And I'll leave you with this, that Uh, confidence, or I would say um, manners never go out of style. Being dressed appropriately for work never goes out of style. Mm-hmm. People, I believe people feel better and we feel better when we're approaching a job feeling like we look our best. Yes. You know, I get up every morning and I put on makeup and I do my hair and I have on a good top. I wear yoga pants a lot. <laughs> on my zoom calls, but I always feel like I feel better when I look better. And I also feel like it's a, it shows respect 
to other people I'm working with. I encourage your friend. I mean, it probably isn't appropriate for her to wear a suit on a Zoom call, but she might wear a jacket with something more comfortable underneath so that she feels like she is the professional that she's used to being. Yes. There are all kinds of ways to make it work now, but confidence will, will come with time for her. And I have, I have often told people when they're doing phone interviews to dress up because you do feel better when you're dressed up and then you can sell yourself better. But if you're in, you know, your pajamas it just doesn't come off that good <laughs> when you're on the phone. It, it <laughs> well, we so. can go into a deep dive about that, but briefly it's <laughs> called enclosed cognition. There's a name for it really? that you perform better when you feel like you look better. Yeah. I and believe it. The, the clothes you wear impact that. Absolutely believe it. Well, thank you so much. I really, we could talk for hours here. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff to talk about, but, but thank you for spending time with us today. I really enjoyed it. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. If you're sitting on the fence, hating your job, thinking about making a move, but not sure where to begin, contact Sharp Human Resources. We can help you make sense of the process. Go to sharphumanresources-buffalo.com. Until next time, be kind, everyone. We need to show a lot more kindness in the world. And it starts with you and I. Thanks for listening and have a great day.